Today we take a journey that will become a, um, not a long journey, but a, an interesting one. Because this series I'm in right now will be continued, but it will be continued online. I will do this sermon and I'll do one next week. And then the rest of the sermon will be uh, something I'll share with you um, online. It's a new way of communicating to you. Sometimes you try to say everything you know in one or two sermons, or you try to say it, sometimes you try to say it in one sermon. That's why sermons can be so long. What I'm going to do is break it down into pieces. And um, repeat the topic with me, please. Say, building a future with discipline. I'm going to talk to you about something called spiritual disciplines. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Spiritual. There are some disciplines that are physical. And there are some disciplines that are spiritual. My focus in the next several teachings that will be online and and here will have to do with explaining what spiritual disciplines are. And I'm really looking forward to sharing with you uh, some of the book. I mentioned there's a book in your notes I'll tell you about in a little bit that I want you to to look up, and we'll tell you about that in a minute. But I I want you to, to embrace this word differently And I want you to understand it can change your life. You're praying for things, and the Lord would say, you know, I I would love to do that for you, but I just can't do it. There there are certain things in your life that will prohibit me from giving you what you're praying for. So this is not God's fault. This is not your friend's fault. It's not your pastor's fault. Not your husband's or your wife's fault. This is your fault. This is your decision. You decide, I want to change. I want to have a different result. And so there's something that I love. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, this verse really describes where we're headed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' fables, tales rather. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Say that bold part with me, please. Come on. Train yourself to be godly. Understand that it's your responsibility. This is you. You do the train. You train yourself to be godly. There's something about embracing that. So here's the question. Are you training to be a godly person? And if people who know you would describe you, your friends, people you work with, would they say that you are training to be a godly person? Would they, is that what their conclusion would be? Or would they say, oh, no, I don't see that at all. Now, let's make this real for a second. Now, I'm going to say it about me because I can't say it about you, okay? And I'm not putting myself down. I'm just telling the truth. Um, I don't think I look like I'm training for the Olympics. I think I look okay. But I don't think that I look like a brother who's training for the Olympics. Now, again, that's not a put down to me because I don't know if you think you look like you're training for the Olympics either. Just a point. But someone who is training for the Olympics should look like it. But let's pretend I told you I am training for the Olympics. But I only train on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock to 1230. And you would say, 
I'm not training. How could you judge me like that? You're going to judge me. Say it out loud. You're not training. How do you know I'm not training? I'm here every Sunday at 11 o'clock. What's my problem? What don't I understand? Talk to me. Discipline's a problem, but tell me, I'm disciplined every Sunday at 11 o'clock. What's my problem? Talk to me. It's only on Sunday. What's the problem with only on Sunday? I train hard every Sunday. I worship, I lift. I have to train every day. You must be crazy. You want me to train every day? <laughs> she said, don't come over here, Pastor Ray. Don't come over here. She said, go over there. You told me. You told me I need to try. I heard you. I heard you. I'm speaking out loud in church. I heard you. You said you need to train. How often did you say? Every day. How long every day? Hour? Two, three, four, five. See? So you know from the gate I am deceived. If I think, and every time I got up here and say, I'm training for the Olympics, oh, God, here you go. He's going off the cliff. There's something about being honest. You want God's best in your life, but are you training for his best in your life? Are you putting yourself on the path of, of, of growth? This is an incredible study that I think will help you think about that differently. Because a lot of us really don't get it, but this guy named Donald Whitney, in a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, puts this in a very interesting format. Now, I want you to see this book. This is a book uh, uh, that I want you to to buy. Uh, I'm going to be sharing it with you online, as I said. And you can get the guide if you want. Now, there's a book. You can get, I have both. Uh, I like both. That's just me. But the study guide is brief. It's about 120, 150 pages. The bigger book is twice that. It's about 350 pages or so. And it has more details, more stories, more illustrations. So if you're that kind of person, get the book. Okay? So when you order this. Now, I used to go and buy these for you and put them in the bookstore. But now you can go on Amazon, order for yourself. In Jesus' name, say amen. <laughs> but I, I, at, I, all my books, by the way, are at, if you go to rickytemple.com, what's my website? That's, where I dump, that's my dump site. That's where I go and I put my stuff, where I'm traveling, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. Under articles, you can find all kind of stuff. You go to my website. You click on resources. What do you click on? Resources. And the first one is called Read with the Pastor. This book is not up yet, but it will be this week. And I normally I put the book up, and I put a clip with the person talking about the book. So if you're the kind of person that says, I don't feel like reading, go listen to the clip. It's free. So there's a video or an audio clip. And, it, and there's a list of books that I'm reading. And if you go down to the bottom, there's an archived area, and you can get even more books. And that's the pastor trying to help you. Come on, say amen. amen. So one of the things this guy says in this book really spoke to me. And I want you to listen to what he says. Here he says that we aren't merely to wait for holiness. We're to do what? Pursue it. Strive for peace. Now, one thing about my notes, and if you read my notes, and if you're from home, you can download them too. You click on the PDF, and you can get that from, for yourself at home. Read the bold prints alone, and it says everything. So watch what he says. He says, we aren't merely to wait for holiness. We're to pursue it. How then shall I pursue holiness? See the bold print? Follow me? Discipline yourself for the purpose of what? Godliness. How do I pursue holiness? I pursue holiness 
by disciplining myself. I push myself. No one pushes me. Think of the scriptural disciplines as ways by which we can spiritually, this is so important, don't miss this point, place ourselves in the path. Place ourselves in the what? Path of God's grace. Imagine yourself sitting on the road and you get run over by God's goodness. Spiritual disciplines put you on that road. It puts you in the place where that can happen to you. If you are not a person who operates in certain disciplines, you will never have certain opportunities. You will never have certain things, no matter how sincere you are, no matter how, how well-meaning you are. Now, let me review where we've been, and then I'm going to take you on our journey, and I'll explain more of that to you. First of all, let me describe to you, if I can, the four things that I think are fundamentally powerful about the way we, about this whole series. We've been talking about four, four specific things. Repeat that with me, please. Say time disciplines. A mom's discipline. That was last week. Spiritual disciplines. And thinking disciplines. Now, thinking disciplines is what we'll talk about next week. The mom's disciplines we talked about last week. And, and in that sermon, I talked about the importance of how a mom can impact a child's life. And there was a verse I quoted, but I didn't give you. So write this, look at this in your notes, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give what? Wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to what? Shame. And I, I just wanted you to have that. Because I talked about how important it is, you can go back and listen to the sermon, how important it is for a mom to understand her role and how she shapes and impacts the life of a child. And in that study, we looked at Proverbs 31, and we talked about three things that Solomon's mother told him he needed to be disciplined in. If you, do you remember the three? Number one, when it comes to what? Women. Uh-huh. Number two, when it comes to alcohol. Y'all remember that part, right? Come on. So come on, say women. Or, or his love life. That's what he's talking about. Okay. Be careful, Solomon, about how you manage your love life. Number two, be careful how you manage, how you deal with, with alcohol. And then thirdly, how you lead people. Care about those who have no voice. And I talked to you about how Solomon didn't listen. As a matter of fact, many believe that Proverbs 31 is, is a code, code uh, is, is put in sort of a uh, coded way, but it's really Bathsheba talking to Solomon, who's described as Lemuel in the text. But this is a powerful study that we did last week that talked about a mom's discipline. This week, we talk about spiritual discipline. Now, spiritual discipline is different. Spiritual discipline is described in Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Let me show you the power of living a life that's undisciplined. Undisciplined spiritual lives are limited. That's why I call this the limits of an undisciplined spiritual life. So if you have an unspirit, if you are a person who is living a life that's undisciplined, there are certain things that you will never, ever have in your life. And Matthew 17 describes it. In Matthew 17, there is this dialogue between Jesus and uh, his disciples regarding something they could not do. They tried to help this guy, but they could not get it done. The guy came to the disciples with a problem. The problem had gotten out of control. And when this problem got out of control, Jesus watched this man come to him distraught and frustrated. 
And the disciples tried their best to help this man, but they couldn't. They prayed for him. They said words over him, but nothing would work. And when this wouldn't work, what Jesus did was basically, I'm sorry, the man, he comes to Jesus and complains and says, hey, your disciples couldn't help me. Later on, the disciples are going to ask him, why couldn't we help you? And I want you to listen to what he says, starting in chapter 17, verse 14. Notice the father's challenge. When they come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Have mercy on who? Now, you got to say that with passion. We're talking about a guy who's, who is managing a problem with his own son. Now, it's one thing to watch a family. It's nothing to be the family. And then he says he is an epileptic and suffers severely. Now, don't think of epilepsy in the way that you know it because you have modern medicine. This is not what they understood. Matthew's describing what he saw. He's shaking. That's all he's describing. And then I want you to notice he goes on. He says he suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not do what? Cure him. Now this, imagine inviting a guy to your house, okay? And you're out there barbecuing, right? Got a big fire and you got your, uh, and then his son throws himself in the fire. You get him out the fire, put him out, and then later on he throws himself in the pool. Next time you have a pool party, with a barbecue, you don't want to invite us. <laughs> oh, no, last time he came to my house, he about burned himself up. <laughs> Every time he goes somewhere, he's throwing himself in the fire. You, you, know, you, just, you just, this is the guy who gets isolated. And he's working through this challenge. If you ever had challenges with your children, you ever had something going on with them that you're trying to help them work through, oh, it's a whole nother ball game. Emotionally. And so... Watch what happens when Jesus responds. He gives an honest observation, and he says something that's profound. Verse, chapter, chapter, uh, verse 7 and uh, uh, chapter um, 17. I got 7 there. Chapter 7 uh, is, is chapter 17, verse uh, 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse or wrongly aimed generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him, bring, him, bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Now, I want you to understand Matthew's intent here. Don't get hung up on the word demon either. Do you think it was a demon that made him shake like that? There could have been some spiritual dynamic to it. Obviously, there was something. But don't get lost in that. He's just describing what he sees. He had a problem. He had an issue, he was shaking, and it's like something was in him, and it, it came out of him, and he's, it was amazing. But I want you to notice, this is an obvious moment when the disciples didn't believe. He calls them faithless. Then watch verse 19. Later on, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said to them, what's the first thing he says? Because of your unbelief. You don't really believe you're saying it, 
but you really don't believe. I am convinced this is the biggest problem with a lot of folks, a lot of sincere people, a lot of people who mean well. They really believe their way is better than God's way. The disciples were saying the words they'd seen Jesus say, but they didn't really believe that this works. And I run into this in my life, and I'm sure you run into it in your own life. Do you really believe that what God says about giving is true? Do you really believe what God says about forgiving is true? Do you really believe what God says about serving is true? There's something about this moment that reveals the disciples were following Christ around, but they didn't really believe. And he says, your biggest problem was you were a people who did not believe. And because of that, your unbelief disqualified you. But he goes further. Surely I say to you that if you have faith as the mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing, read this with me, come on. And nothing will be what? Impossible for you. In other words, you guys can do amazing things if you believe, but you don't believe. Now, just stop for a moment and get really honest with yourself. And, and, and I have had to do this, and I do it often. Temple, do you really believe that God's plan for you is better? The way you're managing your marriage, the way you're managing your relationships. When you're facing a temptation, what do you believe? The temptation or what God told you? And here's what happened. He goes on in verse 21, and he says, not only was it your unbelief, it was your, this is important, spiritual disciplines. You aren't spiritually disciplined enough to deal with this kind of problem. Here's what he says to them. However, this kind does not go out except by what? Prayer and fasting. Those are two spiritual disciplines. You don't pray enough to deal with this problem. As a family, you don't pray enough. You watch five hours a day of television, 10 hours a week on your cell phone, and on and on and on we can go. But you do not spend enough time in prayer. You pray on the run. You're not consecrated enough. So you don't pray, you don't fast. And you say, what about the fasting part? I'm going to do a whole sermon on fasting. I'm going to send it to you. And you'll, you're going to hear my thoughts about fasting. I, I, I think people misunderstand fasting. Fasting is about, in, in this context, not eating food. They, they would have these moments or seasons when they would take off maybe a day or two and sometimes extended times where they would just pray and, and just talk to God. They would not eat. They'd drink, but they wouldn't eat. And in very seldom, few cases, uh, have I seen people um, understand that when you fast, Fasting is not about being hungry. So, yes, it is fasting. You ever fasted? You're very hungry. And I fasted. I, I think the most I've ever fasted is three days. And, I, um, and I'm telling you, I started lusting after everything. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not, you know, I'm not a big, let me tell you what I'm not. I'm not a big fast guy, but I'm a big consecrated guy. The power of the fast is in the consecration, not in the hunger. So if you're sitting there lusting after a sandwich, I'll tell you to eat it and spend time with God. Most people who pride themselves in fasting 
miss the power of what fasting's about. For example, if you're fasting when you're working and you, and you, and you have a heavy lifting job, you're cheating your job. I think you should fast on your day off. No, I ain't fasting on my day off. Really? You should fast when you can pray. I'm not against fasting. I, I, I have fasted. Um, so I've done several of those fasts where I go all day, stop at 6 o'clock. I've done that for years. But as, as a general rule, I don't even think nowadays fasting food is the issue. The Internet. Oh, see how you heard, you heard that? It's the Internet. It's, it's TV. If I told you to take your phone and put it in a drawer just for half a day, it would cry all the way to the drawer. Oh, no. Oh, oh, let me out, let me out, let me out, let me out, let me out. Somebody may be calling me. We are wired. The issue of fasting and praying was to get you into a place where you have a moment of spiritual discipline. You and God, nothing else. Everything else is tuned out. <laughs> There's something about that experience that puts you on the path that changes your life. And I think what Jesus said was profound. Because you guys don't do that enough, you are, here's a big word, disqualified. I can't use you. There are certain things we will never be able to do because you are not in the right mindset to hear my voice. I, I can't give you that kind of man. I can't give you that kind of person that you're praying for. Because if they came into your life the way you process love, life, money, the world, it wouldn't work. My goal in life is to be qualified. And 1 Timothy 3 talks about qualifications for leadership. If you want to be a leader, these are things that, have to, that you have to do. This is why I think some pastors get in trouble. And I mentor a lot of pastors, and I'm telling you, one of the things I'll say, I said, dude, you don't, need, you don't need to be a pastor. Your marriage is already jacked up. And if your marriage is jacked up, if it's a 10, if your marriage is a 10, okay, out of, out of 10, 10 being great, 1 being bad, and your marriage, let's say, is a 6, pastor's going to make it a 3. And you get the right church, it'll be a one. They'll suck the life right out of you. You and your wife, you get yourself together, build your marriage. And, and I, I, I discourage people sometimes. Sometimes I tell them to quit. Get you a job. Go do something else. Because this is killing you and your children. And, and because his lifestyle disqualifies him. Just because you can get up here and talk and, and rhyme some words together, doesn't mean you should be doing this. If you don't have the spiritual foundation in place, it's going to frustrate you. It even frustrates you when you have it in place. Come on, say amen if you're hearing me. There's something about the power of this. And Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 13. In Matthew 20, 13, 23, I'm sorry, the disciples came to Jesus, and they wanted to sit on his left hand, on his right hand. And here's what he told them. He says, guys, to sit on my right hand and my left hand, to be elevated like this, it's not something that I can give you. It's not mine to give you. This is for those for whom it's been prepared. There is a qualification, and this is the part that really touched me. You can ask for things all day long, but if I look at your spiritual disciplines, 
It tells me whether you qualify or not. It, the way you engage issues. If you say, I'm falling apart, we're, cu we're cussing and fighting, I can tell you what the problem is. These two people have spiritual discipline problems. Their personal walk with God is questionable. Just because you like gospel music, just because you talk about Jesus, doesn't mean you're close to him. You can go to the gym, you can stand next to the gym and say, that doesn't make you strong. <laughs> you get it? Just try it. Go to, just go to the gym, stand outside and do like that. Just do it. It doesn't work. There's something really, go down to Armstrong and just, just, let your, just do your brain like that. Just, just aim your brain in the classroom. Just go ahead, just aim your brain. You know, it doesn't work. It's when you understand that, there are disciplines. There are disciplines. When you walk across that stage, oh, it's, it's good feeling. Good God, it is. That's all that work. You walk across it. Ricky, say it slow now. <laughs> Spell the name. Don't just say the name. R, I see, K, Y. Tempo. There you go. Walking slow. Get all this glory. They go, all that money and all this work. <laughs> then pause a little bit. You know, take a picture or something. Yes. Discipline. Say it with me, please. Come on. Discipline. Put me in that path. Put me in that place. And if I can get you to buy into these spiritual disciplines, it will change everything. Now, what I'm going to do is i got to whip through something, and I give you, give you six descriptions of spiritual disciplines. And these are from the book, and so I'm giving you a little heads up. And uh, I just thought this would be great. You know, part of, part of what hurts people is they'll come to church and they go, that was a great message, but they don't know what it said. And they, <laughs> they couldn't repeat it. So what I'm doing it sounds a little academic here, but I'm just trying to give you a tool that you can use. You can go home and read these again, okay? So I'm going to whip through them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. And, and it's going to make you think a little bit, but just hang with me and I'll make it simple. You ready? Number one. First of all, the Bible describes both personal and interpersonal spiritual disciplines. Come on, say personal, personal. and interpersonal interpersonal. spiritual discipline. Personal disciplines are things that I do. I pray, I read. Those are personal disciplines. Interpersonal disciplines are things we do together, like church services. This is, this is interpersonal. And I believe here and home, this is an interpersonal moment. There's something about being with people. There are some things that we cannot do, I cannot do alone. Here's what's true. The Bible does not teach that I can grow in Christ alone. The Bible does not teach that. Now, that may be your opinion, and, and I'm not against streaming. It's fine as long as you are reaching out and you are interacting with other believers in some kind of corporate effort. So that means you can't read the Bible by yourself and say, okay, I'm growing in Jesus by myself, because he told them, go ye therefore. I, want every, I, want, I don't want you to go by yourself. He, told, he spoke to the disciples that they should get together in Acts 2.41 with fellowship and koinonia. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some have done. There's got to be a gathering place. The part we've got to embrace now is gathering is not just in the building. And so finding ways to gather either through the Internet and to get, have special get-togethers, but you've got to find some kind of way. I mean, you, you've got to find some kind of way where you're gathering. There's, there, that's part of a discipline. Listen to me. That's what he said. That's part of the discipline. Then there are personal disciplines. 
things that I do that nobody else can do. There's something profound about communion. That's an interpersonal discipline. God calls us to have moments when we have baptisms, when we baptize people together. That's a group event. And that's how he described it. And so what I want you to understand is he gets to define what is a spiritual discipline and what is not, not me. Second thing I want you to notice. A second characteristic of spiritual discipline is they are activities. Say with me, please. They are what? They are not attitudes. Spiritual disciplines are things you do. They're things you do. Discipline yourself, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, in the, for the purpose of godliness. It, I have to understand, it, it's, it's not, the spiritual discipline is not being kind to somebody. It's an activity that I do on a routine basis. And the goal of this activity is to help me train to be a more godly person. The more I pray, the more I read the Bible, those things train me. Coming to church trains me. And the more I do this consistently, as you say, not once a week, you told me every day. That's what you told me. Thirdly, a third descriptor of spiritual disciplines is that we are talking about things that are practiced and modeled in the Bible. I don't get to make it up. I don't get to say, oh, golf is a good discipline. I can't make that a spiritual discipline. So the real question is, what are the disciplines? And what's really amazing is they're simple. You're going to see is prayer, is fasting, which basically means communing with God. And I'm not just talking about food. I want to go past that. It, it, it's, it's about coming to church. It's simple disciplines. And you know what gets people? They get bored with the simple disciplines. And they try to come up with something fancy. Well, it's not about fancy. It's about simple sometimes. Let me just digress for a second. In your, in your life, name the practical disciplines that you do in your daily life that make your life work well. For example, how do you keep your house organized? Tell me how. How do you do that? You can talk to me. Hang up your clothing? What else? Laundry. Good. How often do you do laundry? Every day. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you got to do it almost every day, right? Unless you, oh, God, let me tell you, I, I told you the story about how I, I, my, my wife, we had one washer, one dryer, and, and how I told her she would just needed to be more organized and get it done. Huh. When we built my house, I got two washers and two dryers. <laughs> what? Bam. What? You know why I took over the clothing? I took over the laundry? It's the devil. <laughs> it takes forever. You know, Ricky had the biggest pants. I'm telling you what. I mean, you know what I'm saying? He's 6'3". You know, you, you put his three or four of his pants and that's it. You, I mean, we just couldn't get it all done. And if you don't, and that's a discipline. If you have one washer and one dryer, that means every day you're dropping it in. That's just part of the routine. What else do you do? What do you do to keep your life organized? Dishes. Talk about what dishes? Dishes? Dishes. Here, now, here's my rule for the dishes. You ready? Here's my rule. Watch this now. In our house, no dishes in the sink. Say that with me, please. Come on. Oh, some of y'all quiet now because you got something in there now. You know they're in there right now. You left church. They're in the, they're in the sink right now waiting for you. Now, now here's, here's what we do. You ready? When I finish eating, I rinse it out and put it in the dishwasher. If, I have, if you don't have a dishwasher, I can understand the challenge. But, it, but at least rinse them out 
and put them in a place where we know we're going to watch them later. But that's the discipline. And, and we have to, in my house, you have to wipe the sink dry. You cannot leave any water in it. That's the, I know it sounds like bondage, but okay, but that's the rule. Get up in the morning. How do you keep your bed made? What's the discipline? What do you do? When do you make the bed? Time you get out of the bed. Now, some of you in horror because your bed's not made right now. I know you see it. Okay? But here, <laughs> you know, you go, time you get home, I'm making up my bed. Now, <laughs> Pastor Rick was talking about me today. But the temptation is to put it off. And if you're not honest about the things that you don't consistently do, you'll end up with those issues. That's why you have clothes stacked up and stuff sitting around. And if you don't do the laundry, the laundry grows. And then it's not just doing the laundry. Oh, God, this is the hard part. You ready? You ready? Got to iron them. Woo, Jesus. What's the plan to iron them? Now, here's the good part. If you take them out of the dryer right away and hang them up, what should you do? You can't talk to me. Come on, talk to me. You can't do what? Hang them up. Some of you say, where am I at? Where am I at? This home ec or what? Where am I? <laughs> no, what I'm trying to say is these are the disciplines you argue about. This house is a mess. Things are everywhere. Well, it's because we don't have disciplines. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. I get up early in the morning before I get out of bed and I have a moment of prayer, at least 30 minutes. I try to just get up 30 minutes earlier and just meditate, pray. I just do better when I start my day without being rushed. I make myself set an alarm the night before because brother man will sleep past everything. <laughs> and I know myself. So I know that if I want to be successful, I have a little argument with myself at night. Temple, set the alarm. Temple, set the alarm. Now you know the deal. You got a plane to catch tomorrow morning. Okay? So here's the deal. The plane leaves at what time? You gotta hear me. 10 o'clock, Temple. Okay, so what time must you be at the airport? You must be at the airport at 8.30 to 9. 8.30 would be preferable. How are you gonna be at 8.30? Well, Temple, what you gotta do is it takes you an hour to get dressed, no matter what. Sometimes an hour and a half because you piddle. You are a piddler. You are a piddler. You are a piddler. You are a professional piddler. You're going to piddle. You're going to goof off. You always goof off. Face the truth about yourself. You do what? Don't be talking about me. But you understand, there's something about facing yourself and saying, let me face the truth about me. And if I can face the truth about myself, then that means I need to get on up about 6 o'clock. Piddle, do my little prayer thing, because I'm going to pray, you know, my little prayer thing. And then read, okay, read your Bible verse, okay, get holy, shake, whatever you need to do, okay, shower, okay. And then here's the smart part, pack the day before. Don't pack that morning. I can't pack the morning up. I always in and out the suitcase, up and down. Up, I'm going to be late. The plane's going to leave me. And I'm going to be standing there saying, now I'm going to miss everything. I'm supposed to be someplace, got a meeting, got to preach. Got, I'm going to mess up everything. So the smartest thing for me to do is be honest with myself. Raise your hand high. Come on, hands up. Hands up before God. Say, I must be, I must be honest, honest with, myself. with myself. Thank you. Give God a big hand clap if I'm right. Come on, be honest with yourself. Those are my disciplines. And I fight them all the time. My wife will hear, are you talking to yourself? I say, yes, and it's not going well. <laughs> I'm fighting me. I am the problem. And when you can fight that and deal with yourself and say, I won't tithe, I won't give, I won't, 
I'll, I'll buy something, don't want to pay for it. I know me. So I forced myself, no, you pay cash. No, no, no. You're not buying three pair of shoes. You're buying one. No. You're not buying three suits. You're buying one suit, dude, maybe two, and you're leaving the store. Do you get it, Mr. Oh, he's a, oh, it's a mess. Let me tell you, it's a mess. And I know myself. I know me. Some of you are not being honest with yourself. Now tell your neighbors, he is telling the truth. Come on, tell your neighbors, he is telling the truth. That'll help you. Here we are, number one. Spiritual disciplines are the same. So I said, you know, the Bible prescribed personal and interpersonal disciplines. We talked about the characteristics of spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are things you do. Thirdly, we talked about that there are things that are practiced and taught in the Bible. There are things that the Bible says, these are things I do. And then number four, number four, a fourth characteristic of spiritual discipline is that those found in Scripture are sufficient for knowing and experiencing God. In other words, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all I need is what the Bible says. Say that with me, please. Come on. All I need is what the Bible says. If I'm clear about what the Bible says, I'm going to do better. Number five, a fifth description of spiritual discipline is that they are derived from the Gospels. And, and that's important. And it's it, they come from the Bible, like I said earlier. They're the ABCs. I don't need something new. I don't need to go find new disciplines. I've learned in my personal life, just do what you know. Make up your bed. Do what you know. Walk. The ABCs. I don't need a new list of fancy things to do. And then number six, the last characteristic of spiritual discipline is that they are means and not an end. The, the, the goal is not for me to be disciplined so I can go, I'm disciplined. No, it's, it's a means. It's a tool that gets me to the place where I can be blessed. It's what puts me on the road of blessing so that God's grace can run me over. So I don't need to get, be disciplined so I can brag. That's not the goal. That's not the end, end thing. I'm not trying to be better than you. I pray four hours a day. Who cares? It's not about some bragging rights. It's about me positioning myself so I can receive God's best. Now, I want to close with this thought. We must remember that the mature freedoms of discipline nurtured godliness. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Do not develop in a single reading through the Bible or in a few forays through some of the other disciplines. In other words, just because you read through the Bible and you have one great array of, of special things you do, that's not what this is about. Just like it's not about going to the gym one time and working out real hard and killing myself and thinking I'm, I'm in shape. It's not about one big thing. It's not about you sitting, going home tonight and reading the Bible to, for four hours. That's not what this is about. This is about you persevering. Spiritual disciplines must persevere before it ripens into the mature fruit of godliness, he says. Spiritual discipline is about me being that ripened fruit on the tree that grows and begins to blossom over time. It's me doing the same thing, the right thing, over and over again. And a church that does that changes. They change, it, they change in their mind. They change in their life. Next week, I'm going to talk about mental discipline. And I want to show you the power of that. And I want to ask you a question. If I could hear your thoughts, what would they tell me about your future? Are your thoughts disciplined and going in a direction that's going to bring blessing? Or are you everywhere in your mind? Spiritual disciplines can change your life. I hope I helped you today. Let me pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that what we talked about today would become a seed in the heart of your people. 
May people look at us and say, I can tell they're training for something. Something profound is happening in their life. And God, I ask you in Jesus' name to let these disciplines, these thoughts, these things that they are processing in their life, let them, I pray, leave your change. Lift your hands up for your city. Father, heal today. Free today. Liberate today. May they find deliverance today from things that have kept them from God's best in their life. Spiritual disciplines puts them on the path of God's grace. God's grace can run them over because they're in the place they need to be. I pray their mind, as we talk about that next week, would begin to be open to new thoughts. That their minds would begin to think beyond finding a man, finding a woman, finding something. Nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with wanting to advance in your career. But God, we need to think about you and your will for our lives and your will for our children and your will. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name, break the yoke of bondage that has hindered your people from being spiritually disciplined. I can teach forever, but if you're not alive in them, there's nothing I can do. Heal their mind, heal their body, heal their marriage. It's the key to fixing your marriage. It's the key to changing everything because the whole atmosphere will change when we pray in the morning. The whole atmosphere will change when we invite you in. Oh God, we ask you in Jesus' name, heal the lives of your people. Deliver them. Let there be a breakthrough, a revival in them. And oh God, we give you in the name of Jesus. Now, every hand down, every head down. If there's somebody here that would say, Pastor Rick, I need to give my life to Jesus. That's the first discipline. That's the first step for me. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you need to get your life right with God, you know that what I've said is true. You really haven't invited him to be the Lord of your life, but you know he died on the cross to make that possible. See, this is a spiritual discipline moment where God challenges me to ask you every week, if you don't know Christ, this is the time for you to say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. If you want to start a walk with Jesus, I want you with every head bowed and every eye closed for your privacy. I want to pray one special prayer briefly for you. Raise your hand so I'll know who I'm praying for. Say, pray for me. Pray that prayer for me, Pastor. There's one. There's two. Let me see who I'm praying for. Three. There's four. There's, there's how many more? When I see you, five. Where you at? Father, I pray for these. I see your hands. Father, I pray for those whose hands are up and whose hearts are lifted. I ask you in Jesus' name to touch them today. I pray this will be the big breakthrough they've been waiting for. Many of them came not knowing this would be their changing moment. But I pray for those here and those who are home. Break the yoke, heal them, deliver them, give them strength. And may this be the moment that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. And thank you for your sacrifice for me so that I might be free. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Give God a big praise. So glad you came today. God bless you. God bless you.